Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here in a uh, rainstorm, slight thunderstorm. I'm so thankful that you could be here tonight. I know some of you felt like you were coming in doing the backstroke. That's all right. And uh, you might need some goggles and uh, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm glad that you came tonight in the midst of the storm and rain. And it'll go away pretty quickly, perhaps. So thank you for being present tonight. I know of no place I'd rather be than in the Lord's house tonight. So thank you for coming. And let's begin tonight with prayer. And as we pray on the prayer list, perhaps you picked up some as you came in the building tonight. Bereavement, of course, remember the family of Brian Desmukes. The uh, visitation will be from 4 to 5.30 here tomorrow. And then the service will be at 6 o'clock. I hope that many of you can come and be present for that. Uh, we certainly want to lift them to the Lord in prayer during this time. Also, as we pray tonight, remember John Canarney, who's recovering from knee surgery. And also, we want to remember uh, 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 I just had a brain freeze, your student minister's father. Bob Collins, thank you. So remember to pray for him, continue to pray for him. And you see a list of other folk there that we want to hold up to the Lord in prayer. So the Collins family in sickness, other sick folk that you see listed there, um, those who have lost loved ones. Uh, as you pray, pray for the services coming Sunday. Uh, I will not be able to be with you. My last Sunday was this past week. But I will be here, of course, tonight. And they asked me to come back next Wednesday night, which I agreed to do. After that, you'll have maybe an interim, and you'll be going forward, and you'll be just clapping and jumping and shouting the glory. So uh, pray for the new interim as he comes, as he begins. I don't know all the details about that, but pray for that. And then as you... Uh, in the very near future, have to choose a search committee. We certainly want to lift that to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Kids who went back to school on Monday, uh, we certainly want to pray. One kid came home and they asked her, "Did you first grade, first day in first grade, did you learn anything? She said, no, I've got to go back tomorrow. <laughs> well, uh, pray for our students, children, uh, teachers, administration, those in public school, those in private school, those that are homeschooled, uh, pray that they would have a great year this year. I wonder if you have specific requests that you'd like to mention other than the ones that I've mentioned tonight. Uh, Miss Gilbert, I don't see her name. Maybe it's on there. I just don't see it. Under shut-ins, yes. Let's pray for all the shut-ins there. I don't know them, but Miss Gilbert, Mary Carty, Sheila Gil uh, Gilreth, Ruth Traber, Patsy Morris, Jesse Smith, Mac and Carolyn McAllister, Sue Bolding, Frank Cobb, all the shut-ins. Don't forget them. Many of them invested their life in the church, and now that they can't be here, let's certainly not forget them. Thank you. Any other requests? 
All right, let's have a moment. I'm going to ask you to just pray silently, and we'll have just a moment of silent prayer, and then I will lead us in our prayer time. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful and thankful for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for just the privilege to be together tonight as believers and followers of Christ, as saved men and women. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to have a place at your table. And Lord, thank you that you promised to answer our prayers as we come in Jesus' name. We make tonight our prayer in his name, in his strong and holy and righteous name. We lift before you tonight those who have been mentioned, those that are sick, those that are shut in, those who have had surgery, and those who will have surgery. We lift before you the families that are dealing with loss and death and bereavement, especially the Shore family and the Desmukes family. Lord, would you comfort them as you alone can do. May your grace and your strength and your presence be known to them right now. We pray tonight, Lord, as we look into your word that you would cause it to come alive in our heart as we study, as we think, as we reflect. Speak to our heart tonight, we pray, in Jesus' strong name. Amen. All right, take your Bible, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 11. We're continuing our study in those important verses in the Bible, uh, important chapters in the Bible. <clears throat> we still have some study guides here on the front. Anybody need one? All right. I'm impressed you brought yours back with you. All right, thank you. <laughs> so we look, we've been looking at these important chapters <clears throat> in the Bible. Just a little bit of review. The reason these are important, in particular these first 11 chapters of Genesis, is that every major doctrine in Scripture finds its beginning in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. Everything that we believe as Christians, everything that we believe uh, has its origin there, and we see how it began, and it, it's developed as we move through the scripture, it's developed more fully. In theology, it's called progressive revelation. That means the more we study, the more God reveals himself. The closer we get to God, the more we learn about God. It only makes sense. If you're at a distance from him, you can't know him as well as you could if you're walking with him daily, if you're close to him. Progressive revelation, God reveals to himself more and more as we, as we make ourselves available to him and yield ourselves to him, God reveals himself to us. And we looked last week at the flood, and I wanted to move on into uh, the Tower of Babel, and we just ran out of time. So let's pick up tonight in Genesis chapter 11. And beginning in verse 1. Now, I'm going to have to get a Bible with bigger print because all of a sudden my text has shrunk, it looks like. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Let's pause right there. Now, the background, remember, 
they've just come off the ark. It hasn't been too long since the flood. And they're recovering. They're building, repopulating the earth. Now, as they came off the ark, now remember, tell me, let's review. Who was on the ark that was saved from the flood? Say it, say it loudly, I can't hear. Noah, his three sons, do you remember their names? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And their wives, and of course Noah's wife. So there were eight people on the ark. And as they came off the ark, <clears throat> what God said to them was to repopulate the earth, to have children and repopulate the earth. But he told them to spread out. Don't stay together in a, in a clump as a group. But he said, I want you to spread out so that you can repopulate and replenish the earth. And so if you look at the folks who came off the ark, don't have time to talk a whole lot about this, but as they came off the ark, there was Ham, Shem, and Japheth who were young enough to have children and their wives young enough to have children. And so Ham was the progenitor of the race that settled in what today we'd call Africa and part of the Orient. Japheth and his followers, his descendants, settled in what we would call Europe today, and then Shem settled in what we'd call Israel, commonly known as Palestine and the Middle East. And so as they began to repopulate, they, they were supposed to spread out and repopulate the earth. But look in verse 11 and verse chapter 11 verse 1. The whole earth was of one language and one speech. They all spoke the same language. <clears throat> and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Now that verse says several things that's worth noting. Uh, verse 2, they journey from these. They're still together. They haven't done what God said, spread out. Go in your separate direction so you can repopulate the earth. But they're still traveling as a group. Well, they're family. They're brothers and sisters and cousins. And they're, they're kind of tied together, traveling in a group. And so they come to the plain of Shinar, plain is a level, flat place. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. So brick and slime, they, they took this clay, baked it, hardened it, and slime. Uh, when I think of slime, well, let me, what do you think of when you hear the word slime? What comes to mind? All right, somebody tell me, you're, you're thinking, what is slime? Say it again. It's slimy, like what's, what you'd see on a frog and slick and all of that. Sticky, yeah. Um, and, yeah and you're right, it is, um, slime was something that was sticky, gooey. It's not the kind of stuff you'd want to put your hands in, probably. At least I wouldn't. 
And there is a name for it. I, I wrote the name down. I was going to tell you what it's called. I left that on my desk in my office. But it's, it was real, at, it was adhesive. It was sticky. You get it on your hand and you can't shake it loose. So they had brick and slime. Now the amazing thing is just in contrast in the book of Revelation and, and in other places in 1 Corinthians and other places what God uses for building is called stone. They're using brick. Brick is just clay stuck together. It's not going to last very long. It's not brick as we know it today. It's just it's just mud, clay type stuff that's baked, it's hard, but it could be easily broken. So they said, let us, uh, uh, then they brick and slime, and they said, verse 4, and they said, go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Well, that's exactly what God had told them to do, be scattered abroad. But they don't want to, they're, here is the, after the flood, this is the first instance. Let me rephrase that. because Here is a major instance after the flood where there is out and out rebellion against God. They know that God has said to go your separate ways and spread out. But they said, let's stick together and let's build a city and build a tower that reaches and lest we be scattered abroad, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We want to be famous. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and tower which the children of men build. Now, it's not that God can't see from heaven what they're doing, but he comes down to confront them. He comes down to deal with the situation. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them for which they can imagine to do. Go to, let us go down. Now notice there's a play on words here. They have said, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. Now, God says, let us do this. Again, the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us do this. Let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the fence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build a city. And this is the name it was called, Babel. Because the Lord there did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Now, what is what do you see as significant about the Tower of Babel and the city they're building and the tower they're building? What do you, in your mind, what do you see as, as you can picture this? What what do you see going on there? Describe to me what you see going and there are no wrong answers I wasn't there neither were you but what do you see as going on there I'm going to talk about that she said did they actually think they could build this tower all the way up to heaven we'll talk about that in just a minute what else do you see going on there 
that's right, they, they had a sort of a God complex. They wanted to be God. They said, we don't need, and, and this is the city of Babel, and Nimrod, who was their primary leader, a very ungodly man, said, we're going to exclude God from this new society we're building. We're going to cast him out. We're going to kick him out. And we're going to be godless. We don't need God. We'll build our own tower to heaven. And we will do whatever we want to do. We're, we're going to have a confederation, a one-world confederation, and do whatever we want to do. So now let me give you what I think is going on here, several things. When Nimrod, who was their main leader, the Bible says he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. The King James says a mighty hunter. Uh, well, let's see, how does that say? that He was a mighty hunter, and I lost my verse there. He was a mighty hunter, but it literally means he was hunting against the Lord. He was excluding God from society. So here we have a group of folk who said, we're going to have a one world confederation. All through history, there have been people who wanted to have a one world government, a one world, a worldwide confederation. Everybody consolidated together under one control. Uh, Alexander the Great wanted to do that. Napoleon wanted to do that. Hitler wanted to do that. In the end times, the Antichrist will do the same thing. He will, he will be the one world, build a confederacy of nations with himself the head of that thing to rule the world and keep God out. They're going to vote God out of his own world. So that's the first thing that I want you to see here. So they are in rebellion against God and building that tower. Now, can you imagine when God said, I'm going to confuse their language? They're working away. I don't know how many folks they had doing that, making the brick and putting the slime in, and they're laying those brick, and they're going up, and they're going up. And somebody says, hand me another brick. And that guy's, what are you talking? He couldn't even stand up. What are you talking about? What are you saying? And all of a sudden, they can't understand what the other is saying. Have you ever been in a situation where you could not understand what was being said. I've been in that place a lot of times, sometimes in a church setting or an English setting, but I've been that way a lot of times on mission trips. We had a guy on our mission team for years. His name was Randy. Randy was a godly man. He was the greatest soul winner I've ever known. Wherever you saw Randy, he was sharing Jesus with somebody. But Randy murdered the king's English. He spoke in deep southern drawl and he used southern expressions that nobody outside of that area understood anyway so Randy was giving his testimony one night we were in Rio de Janeiro never forget that he was sharing his testimony and he stood up there and here's what he said opening I remember it as though it were yesterday Randy said I'm just tickled to death to be here the interpreter looked at him and he looked at me, and here's what the interpreter said to the congregation. He died laughing coming to the church. <laughs> Idioms and expressions that we use do not translate well in other languages. So Randy began to share his testimony. 
He spoke in such... <laughs> Uh, what is the word his, his English was so poor he would say a sentence the translator would look at me and I would translate Randy to the translator and then Randy would translate in the, in the Portuguese the folks who were sitting out there so it was a three way translation I'm not at all sure Randy's testimony ever got delivered to the people but I had to translate to the translator for Brother Randy um, being in a situation where you don't know what is being said. So they found themselves that way, and they couldn't communicate. Communication is important. Communication is important in the church. Most every church conflict that I've ever known about at some level came about or was, was because of lack of communication. They just did not communicate, and this one assumed that, but he, because this one had not communicated to that one, he had the wrong assumption. And that one had not communicated to this one, and this one had the wrong assumption. In relationships in the home, relationships in business, communication is vital. It's essential. I was doing wedding counseling on once, uh, one occasion, and had this young couple, I'd known them practically their entire life since they were elementary students. Now they're adults, they're out of high school, been out of high school a few years. And they've fallen in love. They came and I'm doing their wedding counseling. So they're sitting in my office, and we've gone through three sessions. I asked them to come back for a fourth session. And so I kind of talked to them like they were my children. I was old enough almost for them to be my children. Well, I was old enough for them to be my children. And I said, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Take it from somebody who's from experience. Speak the truth to each other. I want you to promise me that in your relationship, you'll always tell the truth. And they said, we promise that. I said, now, I want you to face each other. And Nick, I want you to tell Jenny, promise her right now that you'll always tell her the truth. He said, Jenny, I promise I'll always tell you the truth. Jenny said, Nick, I promise you I'll always tell you the truth. I said, now having said that, if you keep your word, it will not always be pleasant. But in marriage, if you come to the place where you don't trust one another, your marriage is headed for trouble. In a marriage where it's, that's built on truth and respect and love can survive most anything. But if there's no trust, if you don't understand or don't believe that your mate is speaking the truth to you, you don't have much to work on. So they got married. I got to tell you this. It's kind of off the subject a little bit. I'm going to chase a rabbit here. Jenny was standing there, and during the ceremony, Jenny goes, she's getting ready to spew. <laughs> I just knew it. And so I kind of reached in my pocket, took out my handkerchief, and discreetly handed it to her, and she took it. She was able to hold it down. She didn't lose it. I just, I just, any moment I expect her just to spew it out. So after the ceremony, they were taking pictures. She handed my handkerchief back. She said, you gave me that. you think I was about to throw up? I said, yeah, I just had my suit cleaned. I didn't want you to mess it up. But I saw them years after that, six, seven, eight years after that, bumped into them someplace in the store. 
I said, well, how's it going? Good, good, good. And they both said, you know what? We won't tell you this. The advice that you made us, that you gave us, that we promised each other we'd speak the truth, they said that's been the best advice we ever had because I know that Nick's going to tell me the truth. If I ask him something, he's going to be honest. And he said, if I ask Jenny something, I know she's going to tell me the truth. She'll be honest. And they both said that that commitment has saved their marriage on a couple of occasions. Communication is important. And that's what broke down here at the Tower of Babel. And so they dispelled. They went others. Now, what's the Tower of Babel all about? Now, here's where rubber hits the road. What was their intention? What was their plan? What was their purpose? Well, they said, let's build a tower that reaches unto heaven. That's the way it says in King James. Let's read that again. Um, verse 4. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. How many of you have the King James Bible that you're looking at? Raise your hand if you're looking at the King James. Look at verse 4 and tell me if you see anything different about that sentence. Read that and look at something that's different in the, in the way the text is printed. There are two words there in italics. You see that? There's top may reach. How many of you see that may reach is in italics? Do you know what that means in the King James Version of the Bible? Anytime you see something in King James and the words are in italics, what that means is those words were inserted by the translators. They put it there, they thought, to make this sentence more readable in English. And they put it in italics so that you'd know that was not in the original text. It was added by the translators so it can make sense in English. Well, for the most part, they did a good job. But read that verse and leave out those two words in italics and see if it changes the meaning. Verse 4. Let us build a city and a tower whose top unto heaven. Does that make a difference? It does. Now here's what was going on. What they said, we're going to build a tower. And they knew they couldn't make a tower all the way up into heaven where God is. They, but what they were saying is, let's build a tower unto heaven. And the top of it will be something spectacular. So we're going to build a tower. And the top of this will be unto heaven. What they're saying is, we want to build a tower. And on the top of that thing, it will be for a different kind of religion, a different kind of worship. We've thrown God out, and we're going to create a new religion and a new way of worship, and astrology was born that day. If you think about Babylon, the thing that Babylon is known for through the ages is their astrology and their uh, uh, astronomy and their stargazing when Jesus was born and the wise men from the east some of them from this very place came what did they say we have seen his star and we've come to worship him so here is where was born all the thing about stargazing 
and star watching and astrology. Not astronomy so much, but astrology. Astronomy is looking at the stars, seeing how they align and all that. Astronomy has to do with signs of the zodiac and fortune telling and soothsaying and all of that sort of thing. <clears throat> I asked this question in a Bible study one time in my church. How many of you ever read your zodiac and, and read your fortune based on the zodiac? And a lot of us, yeah, we do that. I said, stop it. <laughs> it's a part of false worship. So here's what they were saying. We're going to create a new religion, a new way to get to heaven, and we're going to do it through a false religion, through Science. Now, what they're doing is misapplying and thwarting and twisting and distorting what God has said in Genesis 1.14. <clears throat> Somebody turn back to Genesis 1.14 and read that verse for us. Who would like to do that? Read out loud so everybody can hear. Genesis 1, verse 14. Raise your hand when you find it. I want you to read. All right, Donna, read that for us. signs and festivals and days and years. So God put the moon and the stars and the sun and all the, all the constellations that God put them there for a purpose to testify to him, to his great power. Babylon said, we're going to take what God has made, we're going to twist it, distort it, and we're going to change it so that we can create our own way to heaven. Babel is a compound word, L, Babel, B-A-B-E-L. The E-L on the end is the Hebrew word for God. Anytime you see a word in the Old Testament that ends with E-L, it has something to do with God, Babel, Elohim. It doesn't have to be on the end. Elohim, E-L, Elohim, Bethel, Bethel means the house of God. The E-L has to do with God, the mighty God. Bab, B-A-B, is a word that means gate. So if you put Babel together, it means the gate to God. So they're saying, we're, we're going to create our own way to God. Now what did Genesis 3.15 say? God's going to create a way where man, fallen man, can be reconciled to himself through the blood. The Cain and Abel thing, we talked about that jumping ahead in Egypt they, God said when I see the blood I will pass over you the way to God is through the blood what they said is no we're going to it's going to through the, through the side we're going to create a new way to God it was a false religion see the devil is not against religion he wants religion he wants you to be religious he just doesn't want people to understand the right way the only way to God Christ, Jesus himself, is the door to heaven, the only way to heaven. They're creating a new way to heaven, a new gate to heaven. It's what they were attempting to do, a new way to God. So Babel has come to mean confusion. Babel means consternation, confusion. 
So on one hand, it means a gate to God. On the other hand, it means confusion. And put it together is exactly that. Satan has created a confusion about how people get to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. He's the only way. Now, I want to give you, if we we'll move on to our next segment, let me give you a little clue. How can you tell a false religion or a cult? There are two ways, simple things. Examine it. Two questions you can ask, and the answer to that will help you understand, is this a false religion? Is this some sort of a cult? Without fail, this is true. It's true 100% of the time. Or right, here it is. Ask this question. What, does the, what do they say about the Bible? If they say the Bible is a good book, but we have something else that goes along with it, it's a cult. It's a false religion. The Mormons say we believe in the Bible, but the Book of Mormon takes precedence over the Bible. It's a cult, a false religion. The Moonies have their own book, the Jehovah's Witness. They'll believe, they say, well, yeah, we believe the Bible, but they print their own Bible and they take out from the Bible anything and everything in the Bible that refers to Jesus as being God because they don't believe Jesus was God. What do they say about the Bible? If they say, well, we believe in the Bible, but you also have to have this to go along with it, nope, it's a false religion. Second question, what do they say about Jesus? Who do they believe that Jesus is? If they say to you, Jesus is the Son of God, He is the way, the truth, and the life, you can rest easy. But if they say Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a teacher, if they say to you Jesus was a somebody other than who he says he was, if they say, if they don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, it's a cult, it's a false religion. Now with those two things in mind, it'd be very easy then to detect false religion. Now what they're doing here in the Tower of Babel is totally false because they're denying the true way to God through the blood sacrifice God has already established. He's already prophesied in Genesis 3.15. We've seen it in Cain's, uh, in Abel's offering, in rejection of Cain's offering. We've seen that all the way through. And now, all of a sudden, we've got a new way to God. That makes sense? So the Tower of Babel is the first attempt at creating a worldwide religion that's a false religion. All right. Questions, comments, thoughts? We've got a whole, you know, I could spend a whole lot more time there, but I've got to move on. Okay. No, that's not, the racist note did not come from there. Uh, this is where the languages were confused. But it's not where the races began. But he spread them out, and so the races began as they finally went to those regions where God had already said for them to go. The folks who went into Africa and the, into the Orient 
ones who went to Europe and the ones who stayed there in the, the, in, in the area of what we know today as Israel. So that's where the races were born, but it came out of going where God told them to go. Good question. There are some books that were not included in the Bible. Well, the Catholics, if you look at a Catholic Bible, it has four or five books that we don't put in our Bible. First and second Maccabees, uh, the, there's a, the rest of Esther. We, we have a book of Esther, but they have a supplement to that. Uh, and they have five or six books that are not included in our Bible. And the reason is when the people put together our, through the years, they looked at that and they said, we believe these are inspired writings. We do not believe these are inspired writings. So when they, it's a good, it would be a good study for how do we got our Bible. But we believe the 66 books in our Bible are all inspired. There is uh, the book of Thomas. Uh, that's not in our Bible. The book of Thomas has uh, some stories in there that on the face of it. You know, this can't be true. In the book of Thomas, for example, story of when Jesus was a little boy and he uh, picked up a bird. He had a, a bird lit in his hand. And Jesus said, I don't like you. And he turned that bird into stone and crushed it. That's not the Jesus of the New Testament. In that same book of Thomas, there's a story there of where somebody was, a little, another boy was trying to bully Jesus, and Jesus cursed him and turned him into a cripple. Not the Jesus of the New Testament. So we looked at that and said, that's not inspired, that's not of God. Same way with some of those other writings. I don't know if that confuses you or helps you, but. The Jewish people start with the Torah, which is the five first, first five books of the Bible. And then they look at others that were added to it. They start with Malachi. The Jewish Bible stops with Malachi because they don't believe the New Testament stories about Jesus. They don't believe he was the Messiah. Say it again. A Jewish person can be saved the same way as we are, by trusting in Jesus. They can't be saved by trying to keep the law because nobody can keep the law. That's the whole point of what Jesus, the whole point of the book of Galatians in the New Testament is that you can't be, you can't be good enough to be saved or to save yourself only through trust in Christ. So, but a Jewish person can be saved as well as anybody else. And many Jews have been saved and many more will be saved. During the tribulation period, there will be saved Jews from all over the world. Right, let's move on to the next. We could spend a whole lot of time talking here. But I want you to turn to Genesis 22. Moving from the Tower of Babel. Boy, time is almost gone. Let me, let me save that for next week because there's so much here. I just can't, I don't want to rush through this. Uh, so I'll save this for next week. And I know that some of you came in sitting wet clothes, so I want to let you out a little bit early. Uh, 
I'll take one or two more questions if anybody has before we dismiss. Great question. It's about three generations. So Noah may have still been alive here uh, when this happened, but they've left him behind. Old Noah, he's crazy. You know, they left him behind. So uh, there. Him, Ham, Shem, and Japheth were obviously still alive, or at least their children were alive. So maybe, maybe this is a third generation after the ark. So Noah would have been their great-grandfather. Right. We forget so easily, don't we? The, the followers of Shem and his family walked with God. They were not a part of this. Shem was that godly line. Seth and Shem were that godly line. Uh, but the others, man, they said, no, we're going to make a name for ourselves, create our own religion. Read ahead. Read Genesis 22 for next Wednesday night, and I will be. They asked asked me to come back next Wednesday, and I was happy to do that. Couldn't be back anymore on Sunday because I already had commitments I'd taken. But uh, I'm not sure who will be here Sunday, but somebody will, or Donna's going to sing and preach to you. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you for being here tonight. And as we pray, remember the Desmutes, the funeral service or memorial service, is a better way of saying it, uh, uh, for Brian will be tomorrow visitation from 4 to 5.30, I think, and then the service, memorial service at 6, and I'm hoping that I have a good turnout for that. I plan to be here. I'm not participating in the service. Um, uh, Mark is going to ask Mark to do that, which is a good thing. He knows him, has known them for a long time, but I will be here. So you'd be here to let the family know you're praying for them to encourage them. All right, let's have a closing prayer and then we will adjourn. Lord, we thank you for your word that's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Your word is truth. So Lord, help us to hold your word higher than we have, than we do any other word. Lord, give us discernment and wisdom so that when the things of the world, the things of this earth, the things from any other source, conflict with Scripture. Lord, help us to hold the Scripture and reject those other things because your word is true. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that are here tonight, the ones that are watching and listening, the live streaming, the ones who couldn't be here tonight because of sickness and bereavement. Bless them and comfort them, we pray. Lord, I pray for Brian's dear family. Don't know them very well. Just know them a few weeks. But I love them in the Lord. And I pray that you should bless them, comfort them. May your grace be upon them with the strength that you alone can provide. Lord, bring us back on the Lord's day to worship you. Lord, whoever's in the pulpit, give them fire and power and authority and, and unction from above. 
Give those who sit in the pew an anointing to listen and to hear. Guide the church in the days to come, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.